Welcome back, Six Overtimes friends. Chaz Wagner here in New York. Joining me in Doylestown, PA, my scholarly co-host this holiday season is Scott Wildermuth. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, my man. How are you? Good. Ready to do some non-conference recap of the Big East Hoops, but also really excited to make that track across the great state of PA to my homegrown roots of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for the little little holiday stretch. Yeah, we got a nice little holiday break coming up for everyone. And, Beautiful. Uh, I don't envy your, your trip. I'm pretty happy that I get to stay home and family's coming to me. I'm not going to them. Well, I get to drive back with my buddy Max Quinlan, my roommate, and we're just going to listen to podcasts the whole time and probably listen to six overtimes the entire seven hours and 22 minutes on the road. Hey, as long as we get those downloads. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Any way to artificially inflate the numbers. Definitely. That's what we're all about, trickery. So Absolutely. let's talk about the teams that are trying to trick us and the teams that... What you see is what you get. So today, tonight for that matter, we are recording Thursday, December 22nd. Scott and I, we're doing a whole comprehensive, all-encompassing 16-team non-conference recap because, Scott, Big East play starts next Tuesday night. So who would you, starting with you, who would you like to start with tonight? Well, I just got to say that I'm really stoked for Big East conference play now. Now that we've been sitting back and watching all these non-conference games, we don't have to deal with the UT Pan Americans anymore and all those garbage schools. We're looking at heavyweight battles every single night. It's going to be great. But Some big Mondays. Whew. Looking forward to it. I think it makes most sense to start with the number one team in the nation, uh, the Syracuse Orange. Numero uno. Let's start with them. They they deserve our full and undivided attention. So how we want to start is who they're – let's start with the player, Scott. The most impressive player from these first six or seven weeks for the Syracuse Orange, I got to go with Dion Microwave Waiters. Um, the guy still not starting. I don't think he will through the rest of the year for, for good reason. He comes in. He provides more than you hear of. A guy coming off the bench, Scott, being a spark, he's even more than that. He is a leader. He's carried the team. He's willed them to big wins against NC State uh, in the preseason IT. He helped them beat Stanford and Virginia Tech when they were both sloppy, not you know, low-scoring affairs. And I mean, he's he's earned championship um, the championship belt from the six overtimes team. So he's got to be the most impressive player in the early going. Yeah, and it's sort of uh, apropos since we're talk. We just talked with Anthony about his NBA draft prospects on uh, Tuesday, was I believe, and mm-hmm. um, I'm just more impressed with his defensive skill and how he's been getting in uh, passing lanes and getting a lot of steals and turning the ball over a lot for a lot of easy opportunities. And you know me, when you're efficient with the basketball and efficient scoring the ball, those are uh, two big pluses that I can see. Um, who you got as the most unimpressive player? Unimpressive has to be Brandon Trish, and that has helped Dion Waiters get all this playing time because the one thing that is has been off this year is his shooting. He's a shooting guard. The guy's not a pure slasher. He's not going to dish the rock like, um, what's his name, like Scoop Jardine. 
this guy relies upon his outside shot, his three, or a nice 15 to 16 jumper. And from the last several games, Scott, he just hasn't... seems like his shot is okay. Um, they're just off, but they're just not falling. And for a really good team like them, when they play UConn and Louisville and Pitt, this guy has to be hitting. And... He's getting some open looks, so they just need to, you know, he has some time away from the classroom, over break, and, and he's probably going to be working a lot with the coaches on, on finding his, getting, you know, how how Brandon Trish got his groove back, what we want to say. <laughs> that would be a ridiculous uh, movie title right there. It would be a great movie title. Um, That's what Orange fans want. They want that tale to be told. Oh well, I think it's going to be, and and all all signs point northward for uh, the Syracuse Orange this year and Big East play. Um, I gotta say, you know, you touched on it real quick. That NC State victory in Raleigh has got to be their best performance of the non-conference schedule. It was their first true road victory and road game, for that matter. And uh, you gotta say that that's their best performance so far. Yeah, they haven't played anyone that great. They're not playing a schedule like um, Duke does or Kentucky does where they're playing top 10, top 15 teams um, a lot. So NC State has to be it. There was a feisty, rowdy crowd. We talked about that earlier this week. I got to go with my worst performance being definitely off the court. Everyone's going to say the Bernie Fine thing, but I'm going to go with Jim Beheim's handling and – Kind of his ignorance and his indifference and just his attitude towards the whole situation early on and how he was so defensive and just blocked out. And no matter what was what allegations and, and stories were coming out in that, he just had his... He had his blinders you know, on a little bit. He had his blinders on the whole time. His, his orange-colored glasses were... Like, it wouldn't let any of those... There were some rumors. Some of them were were more factual, and and he just turned a uh, turned a blind eye to all of it. Yeah, the whole situation is terrible. And now, you know, recording on December twenty second, we have the whole thing with uh, Conlin from the Inquirer in Philadelphia coming out that he was molesting kids. I mean, it just seems like this is it's horrible to say, but the in vogue thing in sports right now, and we need to get some sort of um, we need to start talking about the better programs and how they're handling things. Like, I was just watching the bowl game last night. It was TCU and uh, I'm blanking. Who did they Who did they play last night? Anyway, regardless, you know those kids. They get three hundred dollar um, ticket to Best Buy, and mm-hmm. those guys donated theirs to uh, I think it was um, the Make a Wish Foundation and gave it to the kids and. We need to start talking about nice. things like that and, and not these awful things that are happening. But I think we spend a l- I would have bought I would have bought a Sonos with oh, that. Yeah? But yeah, if if my coach forced me to I would I would give it away to the make a wish, but Fair enough. But I think we've spent a lot of time on Syracuse. They look awesome in the preseason. They look like the number one team in the nation. And they look like the favorites to win the NCAA tournament and Big East tournament as of right now. Uh, let's move on to one of their main competitors, both nationally and in the Big East. It's uh, the Louisville Cardinals, who head into conference play 11-0, and 
with two games to play, both uh, Friday night against Western Kentucky and New Year's Eve against Kentucky, uh, which I think everyone's looking forward to seeing. Yeah, the Bluegrass game on New Year's Eve is going to be awesome. Everyone's looking forward to that. Everyone in the state of Kentucky and all the college basketball fans out there. Teams looked impressive. They, what do they remind me of? Um, not the, trying to look at the NFL, almost, not the Steelers, but just that team, not the, not Tebow, but just a team that you, it takes you so long to be sold on them. You just, yeah. you, you're, you're first a skeptic. And maybe I'm still a skeptic, but you're holding out so long on them. And then as they rattle off win after win after beating Long Beach State, who is supposed to be a sleeper team, uh, Butler, you know, Butler's good. Memphis was supposed to be an up-tempo team that could knock them off. All, they just keep rattling off wins, and it's like, you know what, I'm actually, you know, I, don't, I'm, I would buy it. Their stock is too high at this point. I, I should have bought much earlier. Yeah, you're behind the eight ball, and I think I'm there with you. Um, I kept looking for Louisville to sort of trip up and and see if they could really hang with the big boys, and so far they have. Um, Interestingly enough, I think Russ Smith is going to be their key to Big East play. He's provided an outrageous spark off the bench so far this season, and especially in the last two games, scoring 24 and 12 respectively. I think he's a very important player for these guys going forward. Yeah, he's really played great uh, this last week, hasn't he? Especially against Memphis. Really, really brought it against those those quick, athletic Memphis guards. Certainly. And I guess the my player of the non-conference, or the player to watch for the conference games, are is Peyton Siva. Because mm-hmm. I think they're going to go as far as he can, as well as he plays. Um, with him playing at an extremely high level, they could be in the Final Four and competing for that championship at the at the end of the year. But he showed inconsistency throughout his career, and this year is no different. Yeah, he it's it's amazing. It's really unbelievable. This guy's a junior, I want to say. Yeah, it he feels like the Brian Cardinal of of college guards, where he's been around forever. Oh yeah, and it's crazy to think that this guy probably has another year. I don't think he is he is made for the the NBA game. But yeah, he's he's the heart and soul of this team, and and he had that high ankle sprain earlier in the season, and hopefully he's at a hundred percent to hang with Ashton Gibbs and Boatwright and and Mister Dion Waiters as the year goes along. Certainly, and uh, I I would say the least valuable player of the non conference schedule for these guys is this injury bug that they seem to uh, be really under their that under that spell. Uh, they lost Mike Mara, who's a junior, who's one of their big guys coming back uh, for the rest of the season with an ACL. And they just got Rakeem Buckles back, and he seems like he's playing very well so far, but they're, only, they're limiting his minutes early on, and they're going to need him to be at full strength uh, to be at their highest level possible. Yeah, you you know who might get least valuable player, Scott? Who's that? Rick. Well, it's not uh, an actual person, but Rick Pitino's hair is actually you know the actual flow. <laughs> that thing is uh, not what it once used. You know what? Not what it was. It's Let's, a mop. We'll just put he's, it at that. He's got to uh, he's got to drop it and move on. I mean, Coach Cal has it going on. Yeah, he does. He does. And and let's talk a little bit about about UConn um, since they are. 
ranked ninth, I think, in in the uh, national uh, pool right now, and uh, they look extremely impressive as well. They have a lot of pieces, and they've had a very good non-conference schedule. They're nine and one uh, with two games to go against Fairfield and Tennessee. Um, and they have two wins over ranked opponents, beating Florida State, uh, who was ranked number 20 at the time, and beating Harvard by 14 on their home for, home court when they were up at, uh, at number 24. Yeah, they better beat Harvard with all the talent, the boatload of talent, uh, or boatwright of talent that they like have, have there. Uh, they lost to Central Florida, which was a puzzling, puzzling loss to those guys. It's just one of those hiccup games that you scratch your head and you still don't and we can be Big East Hoops podcasters and still not figure it out I mean if if anyone were to um unbreak that to why they lost to that it it would be us right Scott yeah definitely um but like you said I think it's a hiccup um especially because Drummond has really came on as of late and he wasn't really the offensive threat that he is now uh three weeks ago even. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think they lost because Lamb had an off-shooting night. But going forward, if they have another option in Drummond who's going to take nine or ten shots, I don't think they're going to be susceptible to something like that at at all for the rest of the year. Right. I got a couple things to add about about what you said. Do you think, um, you know, one, about the actual loss, sorry to harp on that a lot, but when you see one blemish on the – on this schedule, you're going to, with a good team like this, you're going to harp on it. So the question is, was this loss good in the long run for this Jim Calhoun ball club? Is it one of those things where it's a wake-up call and they don't just keep rolling and rolling and think everything's dandy and they're just going to roll through the Big East and the NCAA tournament? Did that loss, you know, get the focus back, get them back on, you know, um, eye on the prize and, and really focus harder and probably work harder in practice was, was what the ultimate thing was. Yeah, you know, I'm of one mind that it, no losses are ever good losses, uh, especially just looking at the Packers who lost to Kansas City last week to mm-hmm. break their undefeated streak. I, I just, it, you never want to lose. I, I don't think it teaches you anything. I don't think it wakes you up. I I, I, I'm, I think you play better if you're on a roll and you're winning and you feel comfortable, and you feel confident, and you have that streak going. Um, but that's just where where I am and what I think. Yeah, we'll see. I guess we'll see uh, Biggie's play. The future will be uh, will tell us tell us more about it. And neat to see Andre Drummond is the he's actually a not receiving scholarship from the school. I don't know if know if you saw that story over the last few days, but. Bradley, Bradley, wow. the kid that originally was was um, moving yeah. him off, you know, moved himself off the team or removed himself the team so that Drummond could have a spot. Drummond is actually the one that he applied for a loan, and he's actually um, paying for school and going through school on a loan with, I think, with the intention that he knows he's going to get paid buku bucks, and that loan will be. Uh, Will paid up, be paid off quite soon. Uh, come come June of 2012. See, those are stories that we got to keep talking about in these programs. It's that self selflessness, and uh, you know everything that we've seen about Drummond. He's a good guy, and he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So great to hear that. But 
Let's move on to Marquette, the Golden Eagles, my team, my squad. They look great up, up until this loss against LSU uh, over this week. Yeah, that one was perplexing, and you would have thought that with DJO, he was out the other night. You would have thought a game like that was when when they would lose, but they had they basically had everyone at full strength, and this was just a I just got to think one that they fell asleep in, and they weren't uh, one of those where they didn't distribute the basketball as as they have throughout the entire year. Yeah, but. You know, it was it was a tough loss to see, and it was the one blemish that they had in non-conference. They ended up with a ten and one record, except that they do have two uh, two more games against Milwaukee on on Thursday night tonight, and uh, against Vanderbilt on the 29th of December. Uh, but they did have a very successful uh, non-conference schedule. They beat Ole Miss by a boatload. And they beat Wisconsin in Wisconsin and then beat a really good Washington team as well. So they had a really successful non-conference schedule to me. Yeah, they did. If you would have told any Marquette fan that they'd be sitting sitting with one loss and hovering around the top ten, I think they would have they would have taken that in a in a heartbeat. And especially beating in state rival Wisconsin, I think that just makes it even even sweeter that that one loss wasn't wasn't to the Badgers. What do you think of the absence of Chris Atule, that how that's going to affect them going forward, and, and do they need, is, is that something that they really need back, or can can Jay Crowder and Devonte Gardner uh, pick up that slack? Yeah, you know that's going to be the interesting thing that I'm going to watch uh, throughout Big East play because as we've talked about in the podcast, like you need big bodies to go against the other big bodies in the conference, and dropping out Chris Atule or O'Toole, whatever his name is, um, it, it, it hurts in their depth in the front court. However, they've had really nice contribution from two guys that have really replaced him in Jay Crowder and Devontae Gardner. Both of those guys have played exceptionally well so far, to the point where uh, Jay Crowder's probably played the best basketball of anyone on that team so far this mm-hmm. season. Um, and I just want to say real quick, too, that Let's not let's not forget about Todd Mayo and how well that he's played as a freshman coming in, and uh, he's been a microwave just like Waiters. He's the mini microwave. He's the hot yeah. pocket that he's... goes into the microwave. Okay. Okay. What about that uh, silver lining in the pocket? Mm. So he's like microwaving the microwave. Totally. Well, there's pro- there's other microwaveish type players out there in the Big East, so we'll find. Uh, the entire microwave process will find a home for, will find a position for all of these guys. Absolutely. Yep. More than a microwave is Buzz Williams. Oh yeah, he's a microwave of. Is something. his dancing? Is his outfits? Is his post-game press conference your most entertaining stuff, or is it just a compilation of it all? It's a compilation. I mean, this guy has been awesome. He's he's very entertaining. I'm from the school of Ozzie Guillen. I love these kind of uh, managers and coaches. They're just great to see, and I think it takes pressure off the players, which is uh, equally beneficial. And he, but, you can understand him better than Ozzie. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge yeah. fan. Good God, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but let's let's take a look at your Pitt Panthers. My Pitt Panthers. I'm going home to Pittsburgh this holiday season, one for the presents, 
but two, so that I can defend that Big East banner that is still in the Peterson Event Center. Beautiful. There you go. Some sirens in New York. Never heard that before. Um, the Big East banner, no matter how good Syracuse and UConn and whatever Louisville has to say about it, it still resides in the PEC. So I'm going to go back and hang on to it as long as I can, and I'm sure that the uh, Panthers are going to try and do that as well. But, Scott, the most impressive player in my mind and maybe even the MVP of this team thus far got to be Lamar Patterson. This guy, has he, he's going to be up there for most improved player along with Deion Waiters and some others as the most improved in the Big East. The guy has excellent court vision. He can do a little bit everything, um, just like our boy Dane Miller, as we've seen. Yeah. Uh, crashes the glass. He had 12 rebounds in, in the garden a few weeks ago. Has a nice outside shot. I just love the, um, the progression and the, the improvements that Lamar Patterson has made. Yeah, and you're especially going to need that since Ken Burch has transferred. And Patterson's one of those guys who really can do everything. He, he can stroke it from outside and rebound, just like you said. The and, Swiss uh, Army knife. Exactly. And every team needs a guy like that, and he, he's proved to be that guy so far. I'm surprised that you your unimpressive guy is not Ashton Gibbs. Well, because he's after sh- he's had two shoulder such of the ball handling abilities with with uh, excuse Try me out. Trey Woodall being out, he's been he's been playing out of position. The guy's a two guard. He should be playing on the wing. He should be coming off ball screens. I've said this before. I'm gonna say it again. He's logging too many minutes. I think he's tired. His legs are getting tired late in the game, taking those those 22, 23 footers. Um, I mean, he's he's been fine. He's he's they've only got one loss. Um, it was a bad loss to Long Beach State, but the fact that they've only got one blemish on their on their on their to their resume is it's a lot of of Ashton Gibbs being that senior leader. Um, you know, most improved it could have been Trey. I, I spoke of Trey Woodall. He he was up there with Lamar Patterson. He and he totally overachieved, I thought, and was was scoring like I didn't I didn't think he had that. Scott, I didn't think he had that scoring ability. But anyways, um, yeah, he was playing great. Yeah, bad performance against Long Beach State and and the Castro Wearers. Um, you spoke of real quick the Kem Birch transfer. Weird turn of events. It it took everyone by surprise, along with the Todd Graham thing. It was just a wild up and down, back and forth week at Pitt last it's a week. Roller coaster. Roller coaster of sorts. Uh, Kenny, it was more like the Jackrabbit at Kennywood for all those <laughs> Pitt fans out there. You probably have no, no idea. You, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, right? No, no clue. The jackrabbit. You literally. You're almost. It's. It's probably one of the most dangerous um, roller coasters that you you could put your kid on. <laughs> I mean, it's it doesn't meet any of the safety standards anymore. It's basically like That's you good. you are putting uh, a lot of uh, a lot of risk and and um, it's, it's a just, death trap. It's a death trap. Anyways, Kim Birch is hasn't been officially released from Pitt thus thus far, Scott. So there's still a glimmer of hope whether we want him back or not and whether Pitt fans want him back or not, he still could be coming back to uh to Oakland. Yeah, and I think that any time that a guy as talented as Birch is, I mean, if he wants to come back, I think you take him back. And uh you know, you just you got 
we don't know the relationship between Dixon and Birch and what that is. And I think that that's going to be put to the test if Birch does come back. I'd like to see him come back just because he's a great player and he could be even greater as as the years progress. But yeah, and it's it's like the the girlfriend that leaves has a they have a crazy you know big crazy fight. They're all drunk. So you say some things you don't want to. You storm out. You break up. Come back the next day or or the next week and say, oh, bring me back. So we'll see if Jamie Dixon lets him uh, lets him back in the. Uh, the pit program. Yeah, and uh, we don't even know if he's on, coming back, but it's just uh, who knows scenarios. Yeah, and uh, just to touch on this real quick for all you pit pit heads out there, um, Trey Woodall looks like he could be back before the start of the next game. So, you know, that's excellent. Excellent. I think that's going to help out Ashton Gibbs uh, most notably. Uh, let's move on to a team that you've been really impressed with as of I, but I think. You even more is uh, the Georgetown Hoyas, and yeah. they've only a lot of teams only have one loss. That's it seems like a uh, common thread throughout. But let's tell me more about what you what you've seen out of the Hoyas. Yeah, Georgetown has been uh, really impressive so far, and they're nine and one. Like you said, uh, only have one loss to Kansas by four points. At I think it was in Kansas or it was in Maui. It was in Maui. Remember the midnight right. game? Uh, yep. Until about 2.30 in the morning. We were up and running at 6.30 in the morning. Oh, it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> flew out of my mind. How could you forget? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so anyhow, you know, Georgetown really has played very well in all the games that they need to get up and play against. They played against Memphis, beat them by two in overtime. They actually play Memphis again tonight. And they beat Alabama, which was ranked number 12 in Alabama, on a last-second three-point attempt by Hollis Thompson. And that's really what solidified them to be on the national map. And, you know, this team, they have their flaws and they have their, you know, ups and downs. They only really play six guys, but those six guys all contribute at a very high level. And, and so far in the non-conference, they've played very, very well. Yeah, the Hoya Sax is back. I don't know what that is. That's what the that's the phrase or the uh, coinage that all Hoya fans say. Just like uh, Auburn says, "War Eagle." Gotcha, gotcha. You know, or uh, Ray Bucknell at Bucknell. It's uh, or Hale Pitt. It's Hoya Sax. Okay. Okay. A little gotcha. cu- cultural reference to Georgetown. Um, yeah, they. I think another very impressive or one of the most improved players has to be uh, Hollis Thompson this year, right? Oh, yeah, he's played unbelievably well. And like I said, you know, he drilled that three against Alabama with like six seconds left on the clock. And he really showed some uh, cojones, I guess, where he, which is what we could say. The gravitas. Yeah, he really just... He's he's one of those guys who can really take over this team, along with Henry Sims. And I think Henry Sims is almost as important to this team as Thompson because they have a lot of jump shooters that shoot the three ball exceptionally well. And if they can get Henry Sims down low and in the paint and get this inside-out game going, I think this team can really go far and do some damage. Yeah, completely. And uh, do you think with the reemergence of the Hoyas, they haven't been, they haven't, they didn't fall off the, uh, off the, off the map by any means. But they've, I think they've underachieved the last few years. But it's nice to see them overachieving. Do you think the 
Georgetown starter jackets are are going to be hot items on on eBay now this holiday season. Unfortunately, I think that uh, trend died in 1994. Uh, there's got to be some out there. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I know that I rocked a Carolina Panthers uh, starter jacket back in the day. I had a same same uh, city, same state, uh, Charlotte Hornets one. Wow. Nice. Something about those Carolina teams and their starter jackets. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I loved rocking that. Um, yeah, so Georgetown's looked really good, and, and unfortunately we're going to jump into a team right now that is really highlighted by their fight that they had against Xavier that led to uh, four guys from Cincinnati getting suspended, three of which for six games, and really only two of those guys are really worth talking about in Mabuje and Gates. But is there really anything else to talk about about Cincinnati's non-conference besides this uh, brawl that happened? Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be the fight. It's the elephant in the room. Everyone wants to everyone but everybody wants to say they've moved past it, but when you cold cold cock a guy, get some haymakers going in a rivalry game, people like to talk about it, especially uh guys in their mid 20s like us. I mean, who's who's uh who are you kidding? It's uh Especially the fact that no one got seriously injured. Uh, Kenny Freese had some, uh, his face was a little busted, got some stitches, and Yancey Gase was at fault, some other guys were at fault, da 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 we've all read about it, but uh, now that we're looking back on it, it was it was a huge story, and it was, it was kind of entertaining and kind of exciting to uh, <laughs> see it play out. Yeah, you know, like... I think they're almost lucky that the fight came out because it sort of hides this terrible loss they had to Presbyterian early in the <laughs> totally. season. And Could not agree more. I think this is going to be a rallying point, actually, for Cincinnati because coming out of all these suspensions, Kilpatrick's played unbelievably well. And they actually came back to mm-hmm. uh, beat Texas Pan American last night, I think. Um, and it, it got actually pretty close in the second half, which was surprising. But... I do think that this is going to be a rallying cry for this squad. Mick Cronin's been really impressive with uh, how mm-hmm. he's handled the situation, especially in comparison to the Xavier head coach, who I'm blanking on right now. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. No, noble Peace Prize for me from uh, for Mick Cronin. Definitely. I, he's got my definitely. vote. And um, it'd be funny if the committee for tournament time – that they almost it'd be counterintuitive that they they factor in the fight and say this team has rebounded as you spoke of they've rebounded and performed well considering all the controversy and everything that happened and we kind of give them not sympathy that's not the right word at all but kind of that boosts their resume on how they responded where sometimes you see when a major player gets hurt while it doesn't affect what they did during the year, it hurts their seeding or yeah, whatever they get Yeah, the other question tournament. is looking at it the other way. If they're in the bubble, does the committee basically do a mm. uh, you know some sort of NCAA sanction uh, without without actually yep. having to do it and say you guys you know screwed up early in the year and you guys got in this fight, we're not going to give you that extra push into the into the uh, tournament when you probably would have. So be interesting. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. Uh, because that will be certainly uh, discussed throughout. So let's move on to a team that has uh, really been everything positive 
for this ball club that has had a, a lot of disappointment and losses and bad stuff in the past is the Seton Hall Pirates. Yeah, so. they've been awesome, and, and we've talked about them at length being one of our favorite teams to watch. It, let, it started with Fuquan Edwin just beasting early in the season, and, you know, he still is playing at a very high level, and he's, you know, he put, he's putting in 12 points, dropping in eight rebounds and blocking shots and getting steals and passing the ball, and I don't know, I've just been very impressed with Fuquan, and, you know, we've named the Seton Hall Pirates the Fighting Fuquans, you know? He's your little <laughs> Fufu. Exactly. That's what I'm getting you for funny. the holidays. Your holiday present. Yes. Your little Fufu. I like it. Um, yeah, he's he's been great. Herb Pope, we have... He's received all the accolades from us throughout the year, and we can give him even more, shower him with more gifts. Uh, the one struggling or thing that I think they need to work on and I'd like to see improve is their bench. Um, all their starters have, have performed well, even Aaron Cosby, the freshman, who hasn't put up amazing numbers, but he's done enough in that supporting fourth or fifth scorer role to uh, help him win some games. Looks great. Uh, one of the very bright spots is they look great in that College of Charleston yeah, Classic tournament around Thanksgiving time. They beat, as we've seen, a very upstart and an improved St. Joe's team. Um, they beat VCU, who can basically hang with anyone, anyone in the country. Uh, but some puzzling stuff, even though they won the games, were the, the overtime games with Mercer and St. Francis. I mean, so they can... Seton Hall still hasn't the, the jury's still out, and they still got to show what um, what they got coming yeah, they, to the Big East. Those play. are two games where they just got to keep their head in it, and it seemed like they didn't. Um, but you know, I'm very interested to see how Seton Hall plays against one of the, these upper opponents because um, you know they seem like they've risen to the challenge every time that they've had it. And uh, I think we get them against Syracuse in the opener for both teams. So. You know they're diving right in, and Seton Hall has them at home. Oh, the the uh, the rock will be uh, will be rocking. Definitely. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about West Virginia because you know they were supposed to be a little bit better than they have been this season, um, led by Kevin Jones, of course, who has been icy in situations where he needed to be icy. And uh, who do you want to talk about? The your the iciness. Factor the I'd say like the he's like the Coors Light um, the train the bullet truck or the nice. train and uh, my roommate always laugh we laugh about it because we're wondering how many people does that train knock over when it's when it's coming through town <laughs> quite a lot a lot of the drunks Kevin Jones that shot against Kansas State was money um, smooth as can be senior leader you know you said disappointing or maybe not met expectations. I think this team's uh, right about where they should be. Right about where they should be. That loss early, that was the first or second week. It was actually that Tuesday. They played 10 a.m. as yeah. part of that ESPN College Hoops Marathon. They lost to a Kent State team that is going to be pretty good this year, but West Virginia should not be losing at home to them. You take that out of, the, out of there and then they lost to Mississippi State. Mississippi State in the Big East SEC Challenge, they've played great ever since. Um, they had a great week beating Kansas State and Miami, and, and um, 
you know, they've got a, lo- a lot of young players, but they also have Kalichka, Jones, and, and Truck Bryan. And I, th- I think these guys are going to be, I think they're going to be just fine come March and in selection time. Yeah, that seems to be where they're going to be as well. And, and I'm just a little bit concerned that Jabari Hines hasn't been what he was in the first couple of games. Yeah. I'm wondering if, you know, he's going to come back to life at all. But they're, uh, they seem like they can compete if they keep playing at the level that they can. And I'll say that a lot about a lot of these teams coming up. But if they play as like they can and protect the basketball and freaking Kalichka doesn't travel every three seconds, mm-hmm. I think they can really compete with a lot of these teams. The Kalichka-isms has, has been some of my favorite moments of the year. His travels, trying to take five steps. You can't uh, do that. In the half-court offense. It's attempting. against the rules of basketball. It is. He still attempts it. He, <laughs> he's still learning the American um, way of playing. Or he's he's ready for the pros, for that matter. He's ready to hop in the NBA and, and adopt the Allen Iverson school of um, traveling. Of school walking. of traveling. Yeah, so West Virginia is kind of where, where we thought they were going to be. Let's move on to a team that I think has uh, performed quite well considering where they're where they're coming from is that's that is the Providence Friars. The Ed Cooley era has begun and a lot of people up in Rhode Island, for the very few that there are, are drinking the uh the Cooley aid. Nice. I see what you did there. It I didn't make it up, I'm just uh w- what I've seen on Friar blogs. Gotcha, gotcha. Um yeah, you know, they've been extremely impressive. Uh one of their I think the second game when they went to Fairfield, they were eight point underdogs. And since then They've just ran off a 10-2 and non-conference schedule going into Friday night's game against University of Rhode Island in a rivalry game. But thankfully for uh, Friars fans everywhere, the Rams stink. So mm-hmm. look at them to go 11-2. and And they have a lot of good wins. They beat Fairfield in Fairfield. They beat South Carolina. They beat Boston College. You know, it, it seems like they got a big four going, and... Mm-hmm. You love seeing that. They got Henton, Council, Coleman, and the other, uh, Bryce Cotton. And, you know, they've they've just been very good and very fun to watch all year. Yeah, the three C's plus the, uh, the Super Frosh and the Dante Henton. I think we've been, uh, we've been very super impressed. I'll put it super impressed with uh, Dante Henton, especially his rebounding ability. I believe he's up there in... He's not in Kevin Jones or uh, the Herb Pope stratosphere, but uh, he's he's been great crashing the glass. Good wins. I mean, they struggled. Where'd they go, Scott? Um, out to Iowa? Yeah, they lost to Northern Iowa and Iowa State. Yeah, they, they struggled out there for whatever reason. But since then, and playing up in, in New England area, Fairfield is, is a pretty good ball club that's going up against UConn. They beat them, and that's where... Cooley came from. They beat South Carolina. They beat a very bad Boston College team. Still power six team. So um, they've done what they needed to do. They took care of business. But what did you, was there anything in those wins or especially those losses that that's, might come back to bite them and, and that's where we'll see the losses in Biggie's play? Well, the interesting thing to me was preseason Ed Cooley came in and preaching his defensive strategy mm-hmm. where he wanted to be a defensive-minded team, slow the ball down, and have less possessions per game. 
in fact, when the during their losses, they've averaged 58 points and played in the low 60s or the low 50s. Those are the times that they've lost. They've won when they've scored more than 65 points and dropped it into the 70s and the 80s. So I think Ed Cooley was uh, was was tricking people. He's not, he was he was yeah. trying to hide their hand a little bit. He's not tricking people. He's a salesman, and what every politician does, the incumbent who uh, Keno Davis, whatever he was doing and his style of play, which was unsuccessful. He's going to yell and, and cry for change. And we saw that with Obama after Bush. We saw it. We see it with all the Republicans saying it with Obama. It's It didn't work before, so I'm going to have something completely different and radical. And, you know, it's it's been um, – as long as they're winning, who who the hell exactly. cares, basically? Yeah. Definitely. Um, but moving from, from on to – from the Friars, let's go to the Fighting Irish – who uh, really have struggled this year. They, you know, the, losing Abramitis, that's the big story coming into the Big East Conference play. He was, you know, co-Big East player of the year in the preseason, and uh, they're really struggling to find his replacement. Totally, and even if they had him, I think they wouldn't be a very good ball club. You look at their losses, they have four or five Something like that. But if you see all the teams that they lost to, Scott, Missouri, Gonzaga, Indiana, Maryland, you're like, okay, they've lost to all really good ball clubs, you know, blue blood, very good basketball schools that everyone is, is accustomed to. Maryland isn't that good this year. Um, uh, Mizzou's real good, though. And Gonzaga oh, Mizzou's good. Gonzaga. Indiana They're is, is good vastly too. improved. They lost to another team that they shouldn't have. Georgia. They lost to Georgia, who's... Highly, you know, wildly very mediocre in the SEC. They haven't beat. I mean, for for acquiring seven or eight wins already, they haven't beat anyone. I want to say their best win is Detroit Maine. or Maine or nobody. So right now, and I listen listen to Mike Bray in his last week's press conference, they aren't even close to uh, an NCAA tournament bid, and that's what they've. I can't tell you the last time they missed the tournament. Yeah, I, 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 it would be crazy for the Irish fans. I mean, I'm sure that they've lowered their expectations for this season, but they've really grown accustomed to seeing their squad, at least in that second round of the NCAA tournament. And I don't think that that's going to happen this season. Mm -hmm. I don't see how it could. Um, unless Jack Cooley continues to ride our emotions like a roller coaster and really goes off this season. We're the Cooley crazies here. Yeah, me me exactly. and myself, those are the Cooley crazies. It stops right there. Um, it, it hurts when – well, you said about expectations getting up, about losing the second round. At least this year the bar is set so low, and with Abramitis going out in these early losses – no way will their hopes be up come March and getting a two or three seed or a two seed like they did last year and just being crashed in another early exit from the tournament. So maybe it's like Irish fans are like, hey, we'll we'll take this. I mean, we're not going to uh, – our hopes and our uh, expectations aren't going to be dashed this year. But Notre Dame, tough year. I think they've got some, some young – a young nucleus in Atkins and Jerry and Grant and uh, – Dragovich and Connington that I think it will be uh, will bode well for the future. Moving on to another uh, Midwest ball club is DePaul. 
Blue Demons. Uh, they're sitting at nine and three. Just I think they just they don't have any more non-conference games. And basically for them, they're looking for the new year to turn around and see how they match up with a good ball club, uh, the Syracuse Orange. Yeah, they're pretty good. Syracuse is that. a pretty good squad. I think that'll be a pretty, good measuring stick. Pretty good. Larry David there. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that what we've learned from DePaul in the non-conference is that they have four guys uh, that can really, or three guys that can really play, and that's Cleveland Melvin, Brandon Young, and Jeremiah Kelly. And those are the three guys you got to watch during Big East play, and if those three can really match up against the top three of every other team mm-hmm. uh, when they're doing it. Because I'm I'm especially interested in seeing if Cleveland Melvin can do it, because he did it last year, but he was inconsistent. And this year, I want to see him break into that next mold and possibly be in contention for a first-team All-Big East uh, squad this year. What are you looking for? Uh, I think your boy, you've the last few podcasts especially, you've been talking a great deal, and rightfully so, is about Chris Faber. And he's not going to be a Cleveland Melvin where he, he loads the stat line or he's the main reason why they why they won the game or he took that last second shot but the guy needs to stay on the court because he's got to be able to body up with the fab mellows the andre drummonds the yancey gates when if he does or ever returns to cincinnati ball club that guy has to be on the on the floor because he crashes the he crashes the glass and he, he alters shots i mean whether it's a block or just um, altering shots. I mean, the guy is a presence, so I'd like to see uh, like to see how it his game uh, and play you know plays out the rest of the year. Yeah, I think he's a big key as well as uh, these guys not turning the ball over a lot because when they lost that heartbreaker to Ole Miss, it was because Cleveland Melvin turned the ball over and just mm-hmm. got an easy pickpocket for those running rebel running rebels who ran all the way down the court for a layup. So, uh, I mean, I, I think that there are a couple of things that they can do, but I think that they might be able to steal a win here or there yeah. against a team that's better than them because of those uh, those three guys plus Chris Faber. Yeah, they lost to the Run Rebels by two, and I think Marquette beat them by about 40. Yeah, it was close. So if you're that. just going off the uh, off of that. Transitive. Transitive, it's, it, it might be a long year. Well, yep. so let's move uh, on to your Philly, uh, close to Philly ball club, uh, Villanova. And basically all I've remembered from the uh, from the non-conference about Villanova is you got to get the ball to Yaru. That's all you've been saying. So let's talk a little <laughs> bit more about that. Yeah, and that's probably the reason why they're 6-5 and five right now coming into, coming out of the non-conference. Um, they're 1-8 and eight against the spread this year, which means that they've even underperformed where they were supposed to be play within a couple of points. Uh, Yuru just hasn't been getting the amount of touches, and we talked about this with Georgetown and Henry Sims. They have a ton of great jump shooters between Wayans, Cheek, and Hilliard. They need to be able to start this inside-out game where Yuru is getting active and involved and getting after the rim so they can open up uh, lanes for these guards to either take the shot or get to the basket. We've seen this against Missouri, where they lost by 10 points, but I think Missouri could be one of those teams that are left in the Elite Eight at the end of the year. I think they're that good. 
and they played with them because they were making shots. And I think that Nova can really scare a couple of teams this year because of that factor. And uh, I'm sort of excited to see them pull an upset here or there, and I think that that's going to happen. I think they'll do it for sure. And it's uh, it's Yaru stupid. I mean, it's uh, quote, quoting Bill Clinton, it's the economy stupid. I just had to with all the political talk these nice. times. Times here, it's that simple. You need to. It can't be the perimeter. It can't be purely four guards. It worked when they had NBA caliber guards like. Uh, Randy Foy. Alan Ray, Randy Foy, Mike Nardi's not an NBA guy, but um, they can't... Re- but real good players. They were great players, and I've got to think, taking a step back, looking at a 6-5 and five record, this has to be Jay Wright's most, un- I wouldn't say unsuccessful, but his uh, most disappointing non-conference uh, campaign yet. Um, he's always started out... He's had ranked teams very, very highly ranked the last several years um, with high expectations. But six and five and losing to Santa Clara's and two Big Five teams. I don't, I don't, I don't remember the last time that they lost to both Temple and St. Joe's because they're surely not losing to Penn. Um, so a lot of Nova fans got to be. Um, he's got to be receiving some criticism coming from their end. Yeah, I mean it's it's. I don't know what to say. It's going to be challenging for uh, Jay Wright going forward mm-hmm. trying to get this team in, into the win column. But uh, I'm sort of done with talking about them because they've pissed me off all, all year. And I want to go on to USF, talk about those guys. And they just delight you. They don't, they, they don't call, cause any ill will. You just love talking about well, them. I like Nova. I don't really have ties to the Bulls that there. Yeah. Well, South Florida, they one of the themes from them this year has to be their inability to put the ball in the bucket. And last time I checked, that was a part of the game. I know you got to play a little bit of defense, but when you score in the 40s, I think it was at least four times they score in the 40s. And I think the most embarrassing moment, definitely embarrassing, was when they put up 40 points at home to Auburn. That was just a few weeks. It gets coaches fired. Yeah, that was just a few weeks ago, or maybe last week, where we definitely went off on our. I was I went off on a rant about their free throw shooting and inability to basically distribute the basketball the way I would kind of model or mimic the way Marquette does it, where assist and working the ball in the inside and the outside is gonna is gonna score you points and win you games. But they have been unable to do that. The one positive thing, Scott, is they were um, they got the return of Jawanza Poland or Poland. Um, he was the second leading scorer last year. He had back issues, and then he had a two-game suspension with the NCA for one of those playing in a summer unsanctioned summer game. So he's back. Maybe that's the one bright spot that's going to help catapult them and, and take them into the uh, into Biggie's play. Yeah, who knows uh, with getting Poland back in this win against Cleveland State where, you know, Cleveland State's a good team, and uh, I'm especially bitter at them for beating Wake uh, a couple years ago in the tournament. But, you know, I think that they could really use these two uh, momentum shifters and hopefully that uh, gets them a couple wins in Big East play. I don't know if I see it happening because, like you said, they have such a hard time scoring the basketball, Mm -hmm. but they also have a hard time 
holding on to the basketball. Two big uh, main components to the game of basketball. Yeah, pretty so, pretty high correlation for uh, for those two things. Yeah, I would say another so. another um, team that uh, woefully struggles scoring the basketball is is Mike Rice's Rutgers Scarlet Knights, and his. I think his is has a lot to do with being a young ball club. I wouldn't say South Florida is. I think their problem is transfers. They got way too many um, guys that are coming in from other programs, disgruntled at their former programs that are coming in. But Rutgers, it's just basically youth, and these guys yeah. aren't comfortable on the court yet. It's not like they played really good teams that they couldn't hang with them. I know they play Florida. I want to say next week, uh, before, right around the New Year. But they had a really ugly, bad uh, game that you want to move on from. Lost to Princeton at home. That really left a, a bitter taste in um, Rutgers fans um, in their mouth because Princeton's just down the road from them. Um, and, and Dane Miller has to be. I got to bring it up. He, he's he's a sore point for this ball club. Yeah, I mean, it's almost to the point where I'm sort of sick and tired of talking about Dane Miller because he just shows up and then he doesn't and keeps going back and forth. He's got to get more consistent for this team to have any chance. Um, you know, I, I think a guy that's been sort of impressive, especially in the last five, six games, is Eli Carter. And he's really lit up the scoreboard. He's shot much better. And he's really the only one that's proved to be able to score the basketball uh, in the early go. I like how you said sort of, because there's no way you're like, this yeah, right. guy is a scorer. Yeah, sort of. Sort of when he puts up 20 on Monmouth or puts up 22 on Dartmouth. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see what happens uh, as the year progresses. And like I said about Nova going 1-8 and eight against the spread, these guys are 0-6 against the spread. That's what you're concerned about. It, Ew, it's just, it's hideous. It's hideous. Early. You don't you don't care um, about the actual game. You just care to worried about whether you're losing money. I'm caring about numbers. That's all right. it is. Um, let's move on to the St. John's uh, squad that's been really disappointing this year, along with the last two squads that we've talked about. Um, you know, I think the highlight from the non-conference is Nuradine Lindsay transferring out, who, you know, we don't even know the reason why, the impetus behind him moving, but you, they were just developing some sort of identity with him running the point guard, and losing that kind of guy is is, is a struggle for uh, a young Johnny. It's tough, and I mean, there's a reason when when not a lot of good things are happening. There's a reason that they're the last team that we cover. Yeah, we, exactly. For some yeah. reason, we didn't have them wedged in between Syracuse and UConn. I don't I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's tough to watch, and especially for me with Mo Harkless yeah. because. I think he's specifically, uh, he's their best player, and it's not even close. He's an NBA talent, not this year, but maybe next or the year after that. He can develop into that kind of th- kind of guy, but, you know, I think this year he's really taken his, his licks. He, he's one of those guys that takes 16 shots to get 15 points, and I'd like to see him uh, learn a little bit quicker. Yeah, he's um, he's taking his bumps and bruises. I think the NBA scouts probably like that he's seeing seeing court time. Um, a lot of it. One, so he's gaining experience. But number two, because so they get to see him play. It's not like these uh, 
like a Ken Birch or some raw freshman that's only seen 10 minutes of time, and they're like, oh, he's got this huge ceiling, huge potential, but, you know, we'll just let it let it um, flourish in the NBA. They're getting to see all his, all his warts and all his um, good, bad, and everything in between this year because they have probably the thinnest – team in recent Big East history, not just not just St. John's history. Um they had some encouraging things going on early in the year. I, I definitely I was I was pretty excited to watch them in that that Madison Square Garden game against Arizona where they were up the entire game. Nerdine Lindsay, you brought it up before, kind of an ironic thing. He went down, fouled out, and it's almost like that was a microcosm or like the mini event when he went down that's when they lost the game, but it's like now that Nerdine Lindsay transfers, it's like the season has been a complete afterthought, and everyone's looking towards next year. I don't know. Yeah, it's tricky, and we'll see how they're doing it. But you know, I th- I think um, I think if you're a Johnny's fan, I think you got to be patient because this team is built fully of freshmen and uh, and younger guys, and you got to sort of you got to hope. You gotta hope that's where it comes down to, and I know the Johnnies have a great recruiting class coming in for next that's year. That's life as a sports fan. That, yeah, all, exactly. the, all you all you need is a glimmer of hope. Yeah, it's like me and the Bills this early this the year. The Bills and the Cleveland Browns, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, one last thing about the Johnnies. God's gift to Chua. I gotta tell you, he looks like the the guy from Blood Diamond. He's just. Really? He's just a more built, a uh, little bigger, huskier. Uh, I forget the guy's name, but the the guy that Leo runs around with all over the island, and and you know he's the family, the kids trying to find his son, the main character in Blood Diamond. I mean that's that's uh, that's God's gift right there. Yeah, I'm trying to look up uh, the picture it's of him. God's gift right now. It's the bigger know. brother of. Uh, I don't know about come on. that. Come ah, ah, stretching too far. Yeah, I think trying so. to be Bill Simmons too much and making uh, movie references. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, but you know, I'm sure it was it was closer than I thought hey, it would be. To be honest, worth with a try. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think that wraps up the whole non-conference schedule and and what we've seen so far out of these 16 teams. Uh, we've run real long, so apologies for that. But there was a lot to cover, and we learned a lot about these teams and. I think the biggest takeaway from right now is that you're looking at three potential, maybe even four potential Final Four caliber teams coming from the Big East, and that includes Connecticut, Marquette, Syracuse, and Pitt. and, uh, and, and Louisville. And I don't Pitt. think Pitt's there, but I think they're. And then on top of the that, year. then you got two teams with Pitt and Georgetown that really can compete and go deep and. West Virginia and Seton Hall, they're probably tournament teams this season, and you never know with the Providence or DePaul if they sneak in. So it's a very, it's been very exciting. That's why they play the game. We have no idea what's going to happen. Exactly. Except that the Steelers well, are making the Super Bowl. Just throw that in. Oh, God, get out of here. So, yeah, this is uh, a wrap. Yeah, it's a wrap. Um, hit us up, 6overtimes at gmail.com, and tweet us at 6overtimes. Peace.